Always good to be back here. I, I loved your pastor since the first time I met him. He's got what I call hot dog Christianity. You know, a lot of people got dog tired Christianity, but he got, he got, he still he, he loves it for the good news of Jesus Christ. And, uh, I love your music. I, uh, I'm in some churches and after they do their thing, I'm about ready to preach on hell. I mean, it's, uh, uh, not very good. So it's, uh, it's always good to be here. I am a, most of you probably know I'm a psychologist by training uh, uh, from the University of South Carolina. You're talking about Tennessee football. We, we're so bad, our games are going to be on PBS next year, I think. They're, gonna, uh, they're, uh, they're educational, but we never win, you know. I think we, we win the toss and elect to go home usually. But anyway, so I hope you all hope y'all do better than we and we as a football team. But I, I, So the first part of my life, I was staff at a mental health clinic. I uh, was there a few years. I left the mental health clinic. One reason I left, I couldn't tell the staff and the patients. Uh, it, it was just the staff had more problems than the patients had. And the only difference was the staff had the keys. Other than that, I couldn't tell a whole lot of difference. So I have had a unique life. One week I worked at a mental health clinic. Next week I worked at a Baptist church. People say, is that a big adjustment? Well, staff still had the keys, but other than that, I can't tell a whole lot of difference sometimes. <laughs> uh, so let me see if I can, people always ask, well, what do you do? The best way I can explain what I do is, is this. How many remember when the only thing you had to play with was the outside? Anybody remember that? The outside. Mom would say, go outside, go, go play in the day. You know, things have changed so much now. Kids, my, it's easy to travel with my grandkids, you know, because it, they just sit there and do this, you know, the screen and we do six hours. You don't hear a word out of them. You know, we're here. Good. And they get out of the car. When my kids were young, we didn't have screens. All they had we had was outside. So you get in that car, you got to figure out what are we going to do with these kids? So you start counting cows on the side of the road. Remember that? And then you start counting letters in the signs and go through the ABCs. And then you count cars and get some more if you get a Volkswagen. And, 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 then, and then you're done. I mean, there's nothing else outside, you know, and they're still in the back seat. And now they're seeing things, they're saying like, you're breathing my air, stuff like that. You know, I used to tell my wife, any trip over 100 miles, I know why animals eat their young, you know, because it's just hard, you know. Uh, but the whole world's changed. I mean, when my first grandkid was born, my wife looked at me and says, I'm not going to be a grandma. I'm not going to be a grandmother. I don't have any choice. You've got to be. Well, I'm not going to be called grandmother. Well, what are you going to be called? I'm going to be called Mimi. What is a Mimi? What am I going to be? PP? I mean, what, what is a Mimi? Uh, well, come to find out, that's what she is. She's a Mimi. And I'm, I'm not PP, by the way. I'm, you know, I'm Papa. I'm, I'm Papa. But, uh, but when I was a kid, the only thing we had was the outside. So we played marbles. Now, this is going to sound like the History Channel to some of you, but uh, how many old enough to remember marbles? You, we played marbles, and, and you named them, you know, roly-poly, black beauty, steely, you named your marbles. Now, now, my dad was a Baptist preacher. I grew up at the church. Matter of fact, we didn't have a nursery. I slept on the second pew. That, that's where I was, my nursery was. So I, I grew up in church, and... Uh, my dad, being a pastor, said you can play marbles, but you can't play for keeps. Anybody grow up like that? Can't play for keeps? Too much like gambling. And we Baptists, we pretty much against everything. You know, if it's fun, you can't do it. If it tastes good, spit it out. And, and so uh, uh, I'm Baptist born, Baptist bred. When I'll die, I'll be Baptist dead. I get it. Okay, I understand. Uh, so dad says you can play marbles, 
but you can't play for keeps. So what did I do? I played for keeps. I'm a kid. My dad doesn't know anything. I know what you know, I want to do. I'm play for keeps. So I played for keeps. There's always a bully, somebody bigger, somebody stronger in the neighborhood, and he would cheat or, or threaten to beat you or beat you up and, and steal your marbles. So after a while, I realized I've lost my marbles. <laughs> I have lost my marbles. Well, I need to get my marbles back. Well, how am I going to get them back? I got to go back to my dad. I got to tell him the truth. Played for keeps. I've lost my marbles. And my dad was a good dad. He'd go confront the bully. So now the bully's dad and get my marbles back. Well, that's what I do. I go around the country. Lots of people. Some of you, you've lost your marbles. I tell you how good your heavenly father is. And how you got to go back to him. You got to tell the truth. Truth's what sets you free. Secrets are sickness. You got to face it to fix it. But if you tell the truth and go back to your heavenly father, you get your marbles back. So that's what we're going to do today. You got a psychologist all day long. Got to come back this afternoon because I can't get all of them back this morning. Uh, and we're going to try to get your marbles back. And we're going to get them back in the area of relationships. Because relationships matter. Doesn't matter. I've worked with billionaires. I've worked with millionaires. I've worked with people who have five houses. I've worked with presidents of companies. I've worked with Dallas Cowboys. You know, they need a psychologist. I, uh, actually a huge cowboy fan. They're going to be Paul Bears at my funeral. So they can let me down one last time. Uh, <laughs> but you can have, you can have all of that. But let me tell you what about life. It doesn't matter how many houses you got. If you're not happy, it's your house. You're not a happy person. You're not a happy person. Here's what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. For the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. You read any psychological profile of anybody that does anything strange, weird, perverted, you'll see a phrase in their profile that says this. This person was a loner. It's not good to be alone. You'd be strange, weird, perverted. Matter of fact, it's especially not good for single men to be alone. You, you read the psychological research. Single men go in the prison and the state hospital a lot more than married guys. <laughs> I'm going to encourage you married guys. How many married guys are got here? I'm going to encourage you married guys. I don't know how your marriage is going, but let's look at it in a positive way. It's keeping you out of prison. It's keeping you out of the state hospital. You ought to thank your wife right now. And the reason she's keeping you out of the state hospital, because she'll tell you when you're crazy. You're crazy. Don't do that anymore. They'll put you in a state hospital. So it's not good for man to be alone. So God created marriage. God created family. God created the church. The church is the family of God. You see, God knew in this fallen world, we'd have death. We'd have divorce. We'd have some people to choose to remain single. But you can't be all you can be by yourself. And so God created family and marriage. And he created the church because that's how you grow being around other people, being the people that God wants you to be. Now, how does it all work? Well, life works in stages, and your needs will change depending on what age and stage of life you're in. Matter of fact, I got this uh, 
buddy of mine, and uh, you'll find out the sermon isn't exactly the same from one to the other, but that's just me, you know. So uh, <laughs> I, uh, my wife actually takes notes, tell me what I did in the first one, and I try to do it, but it never works. So I'm going to tell you this. They didn't get this in the first service. This guy, he's like 90, and his, he's dating this lady like 75. And, of course, his buddies are giving him a hard time. And they said, well, does she have a lot of money? Is that why you married her? No, no. Well, has she got a house? Nice. Yes. No, no. Well, can she cook? No, she doesn't cook. Why are you marrying her? He says, I'm marrying her because she can drive at night. That's why I'm marrying her. You know? <laughs> so... So your needs are going to change a little bit as we go through these stages. And you'll find in these stages of life, your needs will change depending on what age and stage of life you're in. For example, my wife and I, we're in the empty nest stage of life. Now, people ask this question, when does life really begin? I can tell you when life really begins. Here's when life really begins. It's when the kids leave home and the dog dies. That's pretty much when life really begins. Now... You have to be ready for that. We have an epidemic in our country called gray divorce. And it's an epidemic because we have people who get married and they invest in their children and they don't invest in their marriage. And everything is about the children. And then when the children leaves home and the dog dies, they don't have a relationship anymore and they end up getting divorced. And so I would encourage you. There are two different things. Invest in your family and invest in your marriage. You come back tonight at 5 o'clock, that's an investment in your marriage, okay? It's that's nothing. And so that's what you have to do to continue to grow because people change. And you think because you're with somebody for 10 years or whatever, then you listen less because you think you know more, but you don't. You have to continue to invest in that relationship. So how do these stages work? Well, the first stage is that wonderful stage. I call it the urge to merge stage. It's when one gland's calling out to another gland, let's get together. You know, you know that stage of life. It's, and by the way, it's a wonderful stage to be in, isn't it? <laughs> but it's a pitiful stage to watch. You know, I used to have to do premarital counseling, and I quit doing it because I just got sick of looking at it. I mean, I just didn't. I wanted to say, take your hands off each other and listen to me. You know, I'd try to shock them into reality. Have a job? No. Finish school? No. Got any money? No. How are you going to live? Love. <laughs> and they'd jump on each other again. You know that stage. I wanted to say I give you five years for this body chemistry to turn to toxic waste, you know. Uh, but I'm a nice guy, so I say, why don't you register paper plates? Because you don't know what you're doing. This isn't going to last, you know. But we've all been there, haven't we? That urge to merge stage. And by the way, men lie during this stage, you know. Uh, they just lie. They got that urge. I lied. I mean, I, I did. I mean, whatever Penny said, I just said yes. You love shopping? Yes, I love shopping. A perfect Saturday would be you, me at the mall shopping. God knew I was lying. He said, birth angel, that's my boy Charles. He's lying. You better teach him a lesson. He'll lie the rest of his life. Come here, birth angel. Give him three daughters. He's going to spend his life in the mall for lying. That's how I got three girls. Most of my life I've spent in a girl's dorm. Well, bit hit every other day with blunt force drama. Uh, <laughs> some days it was so bad I'd actually go out and talk to the mailbox. This is the only mail thing in my house. 
Say, mailbox, it's tough in there today, mailbox. <laughs> Three teenage girls at one time. I had so much hairspray, things would actually stick in midair. I could take a <laughs> Diet Coke, stick it in midair, and come back and get it later. <laughs> We've all been there, haven't we? That wonderful stage of life. But what happens after wonderful? <laughs> you know what happens. War. You see, opposites attract from a distance, but opposites attack up close. The very thing that attracted you now starts to irritate you. One reason I was attracted to my wife, not only is she beautiful, but she's organized. I'm not organized. I thought I need somebody organized. I just didn't know how organized she really was. I knew I was in trouble when she wanted to clean up the rice at the wedding before we went on the honeymoon. I said, this, this lady's clean, you know. Uh, closets color-coded, shoes face north, that kind of organized. Put down my Diet Coke and turn around, and it's in the dishwasher, and I'm not through drinking it yet, you know. Put down my newspaper and turn around, it's in the trash, and I'm not finished yet. I asked her one time, what do you think God's trying to teach me? Trying to teach you, enjoy things while you have them. You never know when you're going to lose them. <laughs> One night I got up to go to the bathroom, came back, the bed was made, and I said, honey, that's a little much, you know, that's a little much, you know. We've all been there, haven't we? Sometimes it happens quickly. Guy got up and honeymoon, got up and looked at his wife and says, where's my hot breakfast? Mother always made me a hot breakfast. She said, you want a hot breakfast? Put those fruit loops in the microwave, that'll be hot. Hey, buddy, set those cornflakes on fire, that'll warm you up. We've all been there, so we go from wonderful to war. But then sometimes we start to wonder. We wonder, did we take the wrong job? We wonder, did we go to the wrong college? We even wonder, did we marry the wrong person? I'll have these guys come see me, you know, and being a, seeing a psychologist, they get all nervous, you know. They're looking around, and I get nervous, too. I see some strange people. I don't know what they're looking for. They look around, I look around, you know. One, one guy was so paranoid, he thought the people in front of him were following him. And that's paranoia, you understand. So when they look around, I look around. And finally, he leaned forward, and I leaned forward. And I say, well, well, what's your problem? He said, Doc, it's terrible. I said, what is it? He said, it's bad. Said, what is it? He'll say something like this. Doc, I think I've married the wrong person. I said, that's it? That's, that's your problem? That's it? He said, that's it? I said, hey, I got good news for you. Everybody else did too. What else you want to talk about? <laughs> he says, what do you mean? I said, in a sense, everybody married the wrong person. You married this fantasy person. They look good. They smell good. They never go to the bathroom. You got a perfect person here. But you get married, you got a real person. They don't always look good. Don't always smell good, spend their life in the bathroom. You got a real person here, you see. But here's what happens. We start comparing our reality with a fantasy that doesn't exist. So we all come from the Adams family. Remember Uncle Adam? We all got our Adam suit. Remember Adam and Eve? They had everything, everything, yet they wanted what they did not have. You have that Adam suit and I have it. We want what we cannot have. As a rule, man's a fool. When he's hot, he wants it cool. When he coolly wants it hot, always wanting what's not. As a rule, man's a fool. We start comparing our reality with a fantasy. These guys will say, Dr. Lowry, I think I'm falling in love with my secretary. She dresses better than my wife. She listens better. She's always in a good mood. I say, I have an answer for that. Pay your wife, let her off at four o'clock. She'll be in a great mood, I promise. <laughs> you start comparing things that can't be compared, you see. Uh, have these women 
They'll say, oh, Dr. Lowry, if my husband would just listen the way you would listen, if he'd be compassionate the way you're compassionate, he would look in my eyes when I talk the way you look into my eyes. I said, pay him $150 an hour like you're paying me. He'll look in your eyes when you talk. (laughs) You have two choices in life, my friend, only two. You can tear up that fantasy that does not exist. And you can accept your mate, your kids, your pastor as a gift of God. Or you'll spend the rest of your life tearing up those people, trying to make them look like a fantasy that does not exist. And you'll end up being a very miserable person. The fact of the matter is relationships just take work. They take work. If the grass is green, it's because somebody's watered it, fertilized it, taking care of it. If the grass is green and nobody appears to be taking care of it, there's a septic tank somewhere. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? Life doesn't work like that. But here's the key of all I'll teach you uh, today and this afternoon. You cannot do the work of relationships unless you understand the worship of relationships. Relationships are not secular, they are spiritual. Jesus met a lady at the well. She had been married five times and was living with a guy. I mean, she was taking a whack at trying to find some guy who would measure up, some guy who would satisfy her. And Jesus says to her, and he may be saying to you, When are you going to realize another person will never meet your deepest needs? Another person will always let you down. You say, well, my husband's not going to let me down. Yes, one day he's going to die, all right? Or you're going to die and you'll let him down. It's going to happen. And so you have to understand that what you're looking for and what you're trying to obtain, he says to this lady, will not work. And you'll just continue to be dissatisfied and thirsty. And then he says this, he says to her, and he may be saying to you, let me give you living water. Let me give you something that satisfies. Let me give you this unconditional love that you crave. Let me give this total forgiveness that you need. And therefore you will feel blessed and loved as a person. And then you will be freed up to bless and love other people. I believe the way we treat other people is the ultimate form of worship. Why? Because Jesus was the true worshiper. He has to be. He gave more glory to God than anybody. Well, what did Jesus do? Well, he went to church. He didn't go all that much, but, and I think because when he went, it didn't go well. Actually, did it. Uh, and, uh, we really don't have a record of him singing a song. I mean, he, he, he was with a group one time and sang a song, but we don't have really any record of him singing a song. So the things we call church, you know, uh, Worship, you do a lot more than Jesus did, actually. But what did he do? Out there, he loved people the way God wanted them to be loved. He blessed people the way God wanted him to, to bless people. You see, I believe nothing. Hey, you you need to come to church. You need to sing. Why? Because that focuses you on God. Why? Because that gets gets you ready to worship. But worship happens not when you come in. Worship happens when you go out. You see, worship is not about raising your hands. It's about reaching out your hands and being the person, attractive person 
for Christianity that God wants you to be. The church will grow not by promotion, but by attraction, you see. By they see your marriage and they want one like you, you have. And here's the key why it has to be worship. Because people need love the most when they least deserve it. Tell you about my wife. She, when she's in a good mood and things are going well and there's money in the bank and my schedule's full and people are buying my books and the grandkids are doing good, it's pretty easy to love my wife. But she really doesn't need my love then. You know when she needs my love? She's in a bad mood. Schedule's empty. Nobody's buying any books. Grandkids are messing up. I say something nice to her. She says something grumpy back to me. That's when she really needs my love. (laughs) And that's when I really don't want to give it to her. (laughs) I want to say, stick it in your ear, lady. I deserve better than this. But that's when I can love her as an act of worship. You see, I can love her when she's a jerkette. Why? Because God loved me when I was a jerk. That's why. She can love me when I'm a jerk. Why? Because God loved her when she was a jerkette. You see, we have a higher commitment to our relationship. That's why we've been married over 50 years. That's why we grow and break our hips together. Why? Because you see it as an act of worship. I promise you, you cannot keep up the work of relationships unless you understand the worship of relationships. Now, let me tell you another problem you have. Not only do you want what you cannot have from the Adams family, you get something else from the Adams family, and that is you want to blame other people for your problems. Remember Adam and Eve? Messed up bad? What happened? Well, it's the woman you gave me. It's her fault, you know. And of course, the woman, it's the snake, and the snake didn't have a leg to stand on, so he got the, he got the <laughs> bad deal. Uh, so, that's your first impulse is to blame somebody else. It comes from your Adam suit. It's in all of us. I used to do marriage counseling. And this lady would start telling me about her husband and how bad he was and how awful he was. And I'm thinking, this guy's from prison release program. I mean, he, he did this. He did that. He called her that. He locked her in the closet. I mean, what kind of gorilla is this? You know? And I got to see him at 9 o'clock the next morning. I mean, I'm afraid. I'm scared. I mean, I'm just locked her in a closet. I mean, I don't know what to expect. I'm a little nervous. And who's going to walk through that door? Nice guy, smiles, shakes my hand, starts telling me about her, what she did, what she said, what she called him. No wonder he locked her in a closet. Let me tell you how life really works. If you take 100% responsibility for your problem, you got a 100% chance of solving your problem. You take 0% responsibility for your problem, you got a zero chance of solving your problem. So how do you make love last? Well, I'm going to try to get, I won't get through that, so we'll finish tonight. You come back, but uh, we'll just do a, a, a few of them. First is... Uh, you got to learn how to love people. How do you know God loves you? How do you know that? Here's the only way you know. That God left his world and entered your world. That's the only way you know God loves you. 
The only way people know that you love them, if you're willing to leave your world and enter their world. See, that's the only way you know. Uh, let me see if I can illustrate that. Uh, let's, let's use children. How many have ever been a kid and know a kid? Just raise your hands. Check it out. Oh, yeah, that's most of us. Okay. Uh, so... How many took Psych 101? Anybody take Psych 101? Okay. Probably studied a guy named Piaget. He talked about the stages that children go through. There's a certain stage children go through called the concrete operational stage, and they cannot think abstractly. That means they cannot think outside their body, and so it's always concrete things. That's why the kids do stupid stuff, by the way. I saw a kid with a burnt lip. I said, kid, how'd you burn your lip? He said, I was licking my nightlight. I said, why would you do that? He said, I've never licked one before. Uh, now, see, now that makes perfectly good sense to a kid. Why? Because he can't think about licking it. He has to go actually lick it. You see, they're stuck in their concrete operational. So I'm going to give you a little experiment so you can understand what it's like to be in somebody else's world and how sometimes you think you're given pleasure or fun, you actually may be causing pain because you don't understand their world. So let's go in the world of children. And if you're physically able, I want you to take and raise your hands as high as you can. Keep them up as long as you can, because I want to cause as much pain as I can. Listen to children talk. Because they cannot think about abstract words, they get all confused. Listen to them say, I pledge allegiance to the flag. They don't know what pledge and allegiance. Those are abstract words. They say things like, I lead the pigeons to the flag or something like that. You think they say one nation indivisible? They'll say a naked individual every time. Uh, Now, Church is very confusing to a kid because church is all abstract. So they think God's name is Howard. Howard be thy name. (laughs) Or or maybe his name is Art, who art in heaven. They pray things like, give us this day our jelly bread. They say the books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Olivia, Newton, John. Uh, One kid thought round John Virgin was the fattest of the 12 opossums. Uh, Brother and sister fighting over the last piece of chocolate cake. Dad said, son, what would Jesus do? He said, he'd make more chocolate cake. You know? <laughs> Anybody feeling any pain? Uh, doesn't that feel good? See, now you know what it's like to take a three-year-old to the mall, and one takes one arm, and one takes the other arm, and you walk them around like this for hours. And you tell, this is your birthday. You're having fun, aren't you? Oh, I'm dying. Never forget what you just learned. Many times you think you're loving somebody, and not only are you not loving them, you're actually causing them pain. You have to enter somebody's world. How do you, how do you know how to enter that world? You got to learn to, we're going to teach you tonight. You got to learn to listen. You got to learn to communicate. You got to learn, in a sense, what motivates them. I, I'm not a, I'm a golfer. I'm not a, I'm not a fisherman. I fish for my golf ball if I hit it in the water. And, and I just don't like to fish because it's like somebody else controls your happiness. You never know when they're going to buy it or not. And besides, if you know, if you can get a sea bass filleted with sauce, I'd probably go for that. But then you catch this slimy thing. I'm just not a fisherman, but I can, I know some buddies and they're fisher guys. And so let's just say you took me fishing and you're going to go out a little early and you get there and I have to come later and I, I get, bogged down and I only I get out there about three hours after you're there and I'm walking by and people are just they got all fish everywhere they're catching all kind of fish and I get to you and I look in your bucket and there's not a fish in there 
And I say, how long, how long you been here? Did you just get here too? No, I've been here three hours. Three hours. Well, well, have you caught any fish? No, I haven't. I, don't, I haven't caught a fish. <laughs> well, buddy, something's wrong. Everybody else is catching fish. Here's what your question would be. And I'm not even a fisherman. Here's what my question would be. What are you using for bait? And he says, blackberries. Blackberries? Why? Because I love blackberries. I've been eating these blackberries. Here, you want some? They're really good. You know what you would say? That's a dumb fisherman. He's fishing with bait he likes. Let me tell you about your relationships. Why they're not any good. You're fishing with bait you like. You've never entered that other person's world. You don't even know what they like, you see. It takes work to find out that. You've got to listen. You've got to communicate. A stands for appreciate. That means you focus on what you have, not on that fantasy out there. You appreciate what you have. Gratitude makes great people. Ingratitude makes hateful people. Learn to be grateful for things. You say, well, I don't have anything to be grateful for. Well, just be thankful for your nose. Just be glad God put your nose on right side up. I mean, what if God put your nose on upside down? Every time it rained, you'd drown. And every time you sneezed, you'd blow your thankless head off. So just, just, just be thankful for that. S stands for serve. Serve out of who you are instead of trying to impress people with what you do. I'm a, uh, I'm a preacher's kid, and I can remember the story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. And I always thought, why did the disciples wash their own stinking feet? I mean, good night, it's Jesus here. You know, guys, come on. But now I know. Because, you see, the disciples were just a bunch of preachers. That's what they were. I'm a preacher. He's a preacher. We're around preachers all the time. You know what preachers do when they get together? We try to convince other preachers how good we're doing. We're trying to impress them. We got, well, we had this many in vacation Bible school. We did this. We did that. We got this budget. We're trying to impress them with what we do. And we don't even notice what they're going through sometimes. Here's what it says about Jesus. Jesus, knowing where he came from and where he was going, washed the feet of his disciples. See, Jesus knew who he was. If you know who you are, you can serve out of who you are. And you don't have to waste time trying to impress people with what you do, you see. I've never been more stressful than one day in my life when somebody thought I was somebody that I wasn't. I do a lot of banquets. I I speak for places where I I I don't know the people. They just fill out these forms, and, and I show up, and I meet them. And the office handles all that. And I was supposed to do a, a pastor appreciation banquet in Austin, Texas. Well, let me just ask you, how many of you know who Mark Lowry is? Anybody who know who Mark Lowry is? If you don't know, he's a singer, uh, kind of a comedian, wrote the song, Mary, Did You Know? You know, did you probably sing at Christmas, which Mary did know, so I don't really get the song, but that's that's the song. And so, uh, and uh, we have the same last name. His dad is named Charles, which is my name. And we've spoken together a couple of times, so there's a, kind of a circle there that we run in. Well... 
I was supposed to do this banquet in Austin. They hand me the folder. My daughter was running our business at the time. And she said, you know, we're going to Austin. Tell me what we're doing. Only thing different, they wanted you to sing. I told them you couldn't. And she hands me the folder. Okay. I get on the plane. Later, I found out they called a couple of days before the banquet and said, could Dr. Lowry sing some songs at the banquet? And they said, no. They called two days later and said, we'll pay him a thousand more dollars if he will sing two songs at the banquet. And she thought, that's $500 a song. But then she remembers how I sing. And she said, no, he can't sing any songs at the banquet. Well, that was in my mind. You know, back there, surely they don't think they booked Mark Lowry. I mean, that, that couldn't happen. I mean, I'm a psychologist. They got the bio. Couldn't happen. But it's in the back of my mind. I get to the Austin airport. The guy meets me. Pastor picks up my bag, looks me in the eye, says, you want me to call you Mark or do you want me to call you Charles? I said, Charles would be good. <laughs> you know how your mind just goes nuts. You're not saying anything on the outside, but you are talking to yourself on the inside. I am talking to myself. He just said, Mark, what if he thinks you're Mark? What if he wants you to sing? You can't sing. What are you going to do? I'm slowly going nuts as I'm walking calmly to the car. We get to the car. He puts my bag in the back. I get in the front. There's a bio sitting on the front seat. I pick it up. Charles Lowry, PhD psychologist. It's my bio. He has to know who I am. He's got the bio right here. He's just a pastor. He's stressed out. Deacon's giving him a hard time. That's why Jesus went around healing, doing miracles, and casting out deacons. I can understand that. I, I can give him some deacon techniques I used when I was a pastor, like put their name on your golf ball. It always made me feel better. Knock them out there about 200 yards. Even if you hit it in the water, doesn't really bother you that much. I started to relax. Not for long. He turns to me and says, we have, you have, we have a mutual friend. I said, oh, who is that? He said, Larnell Harris. I know you've sung with him all over the country. I said, sir, do you think I'm Mark Lowry, the singer? He says, aren't you? I pick up the bow. Didn't you read this? I'm Charles Lowry, the psychologist. He then said this. I thought you were both. Now, at this point, what I wanted to say, and I didn't say, Pastor, because I'm a man of God. <laughs> what I wanted to say, were you abducted by aliens and sprayed with stupid juice? I mean, this guy thinks I'm a schizophrenic singing psychologist. I said, sir, have you told your church Mark Lowry's coming? He said, I've told the whole city Mark Lowry's coming. I said, is there a large cliff or mountain nearby? He said, why? I said, so we can jump off. That's why. I said, look, buddy, I can't sing. I'm a psychologist. Take me back to the airport. No fee, no problem. Get me out of here. He says, you're not going anywhere. I got a thousand people at this banquet, and you're going to do it. So he take you to the hotel. A staff member pick you up in an hour. He takes me to the hotel. It's a great hotel. He thinks I'm Mark Lowry. <laughs> I'm used to speaking at Baptist churches, and how can I say this delicately? Most of them are cheap. You know, uh, so I've been in Motel 3. Has you ever been in a Motel 3? You only get half the Gideon's Bible in a Motel 3. Got to put a quarter into bed to keep it from vibrating. Hour later, staff member knocks on the door. I open the door and he said, hello, Mark. And I say, hello. 
I get to the banquet hall. There's a thousand people there. Pastor's wife meets me out front and says, we know we've made a horrible mistake, but the pastor's talked to some people. They've heard you speak. They say you're funny. They've read your books. They, they like you. They, he, he's starting to relax. I said, I'm glad he's starting to relax. I'm going to the bathroom about every 10 minutes. <laughs> when it's my turn, what did I say? Here's what I said. I said, God's a sovereign God. God looked down and saw your pastor. God knows your pastor very well. And God thought, that pastor, he thinks he needs a singer. <laughs> he doesn't need a singer. He needs a psychologist. I'm going to send Charles instead of Mark. And so we've had good singing today, haven't we? <laughs> Most of you need a psychologist, don't you? So we're going to help you all day long if you stay with me. But let me just wrap this up if I can today. Serve out of who you are. And then tell yourself every day what's really important in life. Tell yourself every day what's really important in life. You say, how do you know what's important in life? You live life backwards. You go to the end of your life and look back on your life. One day you're going to die. Death runs in my family. Think it runs in yours. Pretty much coming this world, no teeth, no hair, no bladder control. That's pretty much how you're going out. You're going to die. Don't get arrogant about life. Short trip from diapers, it depends, I promise you. Now, what are you going to do when you die? Well, they're going to, pastor's going to say some nice words. They're going to put you in a box, and your family's going to go home and eat potato salad. That's pretty much what's, pretty much what's going to happen. So how do you know what's important? Well, go to somebody's funeral. Just watch what happens. See, life's pretty much like a Monopoly game. Remember Monopoly? Remember Boardwalk Park Place? Man, those were the good ones, weren't they? Remember the yellow ones, Marvin Garden? Those were pretty good. Remember Baltic on the corner? I mean, nobody wanted Baltic. <laughs> some of you done really well. I mean, we drove in. They got some really nice houses out. Some of you living on Boardwalk or maybe even Park Place or at least Marvin Garden. You're doing pretty well. <laughs> some of you aren't doing quite so well, are you? <laughs> maybe you got Baltic lifestyle. I'm here to encourage you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you live on Boardwalk or Baltic, because life's like Monopoly. When it's all over, everything's going back in the box. Next generation, play with it or fight over it just like a Monopoly game. So what's important? Well, there's a powerful business phrase. Here's what they say in the business world. Learn to think outside the learn to think outside the box. See, go to somebody's funeral. Take Yogi Bear's advice. Yogi said, if you don't go to their funeral, they probably won't come to yours. So uh, take Yogi Bear's advice. Uh, go to somebody's funeral. Now, if you don't have time, pastor can tell you, I can tell you, we've been to lots of funerals. Same three things show up at everybody's funeral. And these things are the most important things in life. Why? Because they don't go back in the box. Only three. Faith, family, Friends, check it out. Only things that matter. Tell yourself every day what's really important in life. My uh, wife uh, travels with me a lot, and she's tried to culture me up through the years. You know, I, I, you've heard me speak. I have a PhD, but I have no class. I have no culture. So she's tried to class me up, culture me up take me places. She likes the opera. I, you know, I, if I need to sleep, I like to go. But uh, 
I don't get the opera. My neighborhood, you shot a guy, he died. He didn't bleed and sing for 20 minutes. You know, he just died. So, uh, I, I, uh, I, she likes ballet. She took ballet in high school. I, I said, yeah, I don't get ballet. Well, if they just got taller men and women, they wouldn't have to stand on their tiptoes. Everybody could relax and have a lot more fun, you know. She likes classical music. I said, you know, if it's that good, they get some words to go with it. You know, so I'm, but so I don't have any class. So, you know, I like country music. You know, she says that's an oxymoron, country music. It doesn't quite go together. And some of it is pitiful, isn't it? I mean, Papa loved Mama. Mama loved men. Mama's in the graveyard. Papa's in the pen. Uh, <laughs> no redeeming social value there whatsoever. Or remember that classic, my wife ran off with my best friend and I miss him? <laughs> remember that one? That not good. Uh, but there's one years ago that went something like this. I hear tell of millionaires and billionaires and such who gathered all the treasure in the world and they still don't have enough. If money could buy peace of mind, I guess it'd have it all. But all the money in the world won't hold you when you fall. Then it says this. Have a roof over my head, and my kids have all been fed. And the woman I love most lies close beside me in my bed. Lord, give me the eyes to see exactly what that's worth, and I'll be the richest man on earth. You know, Ephesians says the same thing. Ephesians calls it the eyes of the heart. The ability to see how rich you really are, my friend. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're incredibly rich. Because he who is incredibly rich became poor so that one day you would be incredibly rich. Let me tell you how rich. You're so rich, you will even inherit the riches of eternal life. You see, Jesus is the only one that can make relationships truly last.